This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. You know, people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome back to the Fenway Rundown podcast, Mass Live's Red Sox show. For the first time in quite a while, a couple weeks, it is your regular duo of hosts. Sean McAdam is here. I'm Chris Cotillo. And we are going to talk about all of the Red Sox news that has happened since uh, we've both been on our various vacations, which has actually been nothing. So we are in the same boat as we have been since the beginning of the offseason. Nothing has happened. Full throttle uh, has not come true. And the Red Sox are, barring an upset in the next two or three days, going to enter the new year with a roster that, other than Tyler O'Neill for Alex Verdugo, is largely unchanged from the end of the season. This is how I'll put it, Sean. I was on the radio yesterday, and they asked a question about, you know, should Red Sox fans be panicking? I'll say this. 30 of the top 50 free agents are still available. Six of the top 10. Some fit the Red Sox, some don't. The trade market is still yet to really take off. There are opportunities and ways this team can help itself before opening day, before spring training. With that being said, they no longer deserve the benefit of the doubt because they have not proven to us over time that they are going to make these moves. And there are real concerns around baseball, as you wrote last week, and we'll get to that they even have the money or the resources or the will to go out and make these moves. And so, you know, fan unrest, I think, is at a, a pretty high point here. They don't deserve the benefit of the doubt. And until they make that move, they deserve all the criticism they can get. Indeed. And some of that fan unrest is showing up in our Red Sox Insider Text program. How's that for a smooth segue, Chris? Yeah, it's pretty good. And uh, if you want to be involved in that with us, the opportunity to text with me, with Chris Cotillo, with Chris Smith, all you have to do is text the word JOIN to 617-751-6257. That's 617-751-6257. Then click the link and subscribe today. It is free for 14 days. It is $4.99 per month thereafter. We think it's a good investment of your time and money to be able to keep up on the Red Sox year-round. We have a lot of fun. We use your questions on this pod, so join us. Now, I'm sorry, what were you saying? You know, I just saying that the uh, Red Sox deserve to be criticized and ripped, and that's what you're here to do today. Uh, that's my role, yes. That's my – no, I won't say it. Um, it, it is something – uh, that has to be very frustrating for Red Sox fans. And I'll apply the same caveats that you did, that the offseason is not over, that there are still options available to them, and that we hear that they are involved with at least a handful of free agents or at least keeping in touch and monitoring the situation. But, you know, we're, we're coming on New Year's, and they have done precious little to improve, as you said, essentially – Swapped a lefty hitting outfielder for a righty hitting outfielder, adding a uh, an upside reliever as a free agent for a million dollars, and that is the extent of their activity on the major league level right now. And that's not what Red Sox fans expected, nor importantly, is it what they were promised. You know, I think I was, you know, in my head critical of fan reaction to kind of reacting to moves before they were made or reacting to situations before they fully played out, right? Like I 
didn't think it's fair for fans to criticize them for not getting Yamamoto while he was still a free agent. Or, you know, right now they're criticizing them for, you know, not doing anything when still, you know, half a free agency is, is still a story to be told. Or, you know, the trade market hasn't really taken off. But I think I've evolved on that because the signs are really pointing toward nothing. And I think, you know, one of the more, um, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of agents this week. I made it a point to really, you know, snoop around the league, talk to rival executives, talk to agents to see what the Red Sox are doing. You know, and a few of them were just very clear. Well, they're they're acting like a small market team. They like my player, but, you know, they are not going to be the aggressive bidders. There's a couple places where that is, you know, not the case and there's a difference, but it just seems like the industry perception, it's a real thing. You had a very interesting line in your notes column a week ago that people uh, paid a lot of attention to. For some reason, people uh, decided to like look at it and uh, take it in a billion different ways. But I'll give you the chance, obviously, without revealing the precious source, some context on this. There's been a change in philosophy at Fenway every once in a while parentheses, Raphael Devers and Trevor Story, the Red Sox will green light a big signing. But those are few and far between, and it doesn't look like that's going to change anytime soon. In the aftermath of the Yamamoto news, one industry official was speculating on the Red, how the Red Sox might pivot to find the necessary starting pitching. When I, you, suggested free agent Jordan Montgomery as a good fallback option, the official scoffed and offered that even Montgomery would be too expensive for the Red Sox current budget plans. Um, that is pretty telling and i think it says a lot about where they are yeah it does and um you know i I think they as you've reported they continue to stay in touch with the boris corporation about uh montgomery some other people have them sniffing around on blake snell i find that a even more difficult to believe uh perhaps they're just doing their due diligence there but it's clear they're not being aggressors. It's clear they're not in on some of the bigger and more expensive free agents. And it's also clear that they are looking to do this uh, at a lesser dollar. They're they're looking at, you know, Lucas Giolito is not going to be free. Um, he's going to require a multi-year commitment, but it's probably not going to be a six-figure deal at this point. I mean, who knows? Maybe with the bidding, maybe it gets up to that point. I, I say six-figure, I mean nine-figure, uh, meaning inaccessible. Oh, they're, they're really going cheap. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I'm emerging from my post-Christmas haze here, so I should amend that. It, it's nine figures. Um, I, I don't think it's going to get to that. They are clearly looking at the lower half, maybe even lower third of the free agent market to address these needs. And look, a guy like Giolito might be a very nice pickup. I agree with a lot of people that there's some huge upside there. We know that he dealt with a number of different circumstances last season and his personal life and being, uh, you know, being on three teams from start to finish that had to be unnerving. And that this is a guy who, uh, uh, when healthy and when everything is going well is a very good number three starter in your rotation and Giolito makes them better. Is he the kind of guy where you're going to look at the rotation differently and say, well, now they can go toe to toe with some of the other powers in the league. Absolutely not. Uh, you know, which isn't to say that they're not a little bit better or somewhat better if they got Lucas Giolito when all this mm-hmm. is said and done. 
but it's not the kind of dramatic move that has been promised. And yes, promised is not too strong a word here when you think about Tom Warner's now infamous vow on the day that Craig Breslow was introduced to have the Red Sox go, everybody now, full throttle. And we haven't begun to see that even in in the most generous interpretation of that phrase. How could you possibly say that, you being Tom Warner, and then not do anything? Like, that's kind of, I guess, in the back of my head where I come back to. And, well, he said that. He can't sell that big of a bill of goods and just be completely full of BS and 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 have an offseason where they do nothing. Like, he wouldn't have said that if they were going to do nothing, right? I mean... I, you would but think, could, but could you he? know, and, and I've, I've spent some time thinking about that too. And I'm wondering, is this a disconnect between Tom Warner and John Henry, where Warner is advocating for a more aggressive tact in the free agent market to get back into the good graces of Red Sox fans to be more competitive? He looks at two straight last place finishes. He looks at three last place finishes in the last four years and says, well, clearly, we have to spend our way out of this hole that we've dug. And John Henry, who uh, as principal owner and someone who has more influence and sway over the direction of the franchise, is saying, no, I, I, I don't want to go back to this spending for free agent pitchers. We're going to continue to build organically. We're going to see this farm system uh, come to fruition at the major league level over the next couple of years. And then maybe as we get closer to being competitive, then maybe we'll add more aggressively in the free agent market. It seems incomprehensible, frankly, that Warner would say that without having, and he doesn't need John Henry's permission. Tom has been a very successful executive. He owns a significant stake in the Red Sox, but you would think there would be some on the same page element here mm -hmm. to the two biggest stakeholders in this franchise. And clearly something has gone awry there. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is. You know, I, everybody hears in the open of this podcast, you know, my uh, repeated wish and claim of if, you know, ownership wants people to think they uh, care that maybe they should talk. Well, if the result of talking is going to be this, and it's going to be potentially lying, then it's fine. Just keep staying silent because I think that honestly is is better for the fan base. And um, you know, but it'd be interesting to know. You know, I think a very interesting thing Peter Gammon's tweeting out. You know, it's not fair to Craig Breslow that Tom Warner did this. You know, makes yeah, you think. I, I was just going to add that. It, it where's is, that coming from? It has put a target on Breslow's back. I mean, there's mm -hmm. enough pressure here. Stepping into the situation as new. Uh, chief baseball officer replacing Heim Bloom. Uh, his hiring was heralded as we're going to get back to being the Red Sox. We're going to be competing for World Series. This is a sea change here. We realize we haven't done enough the last few years. Craig Breslow is a pitching savant. He's going to help develop it, but he's also going to find it in the trade and free agent market, and he's going to make us relevant and competitive again. And again, we know that there are still uh, almost six weeks before spring training. There is plenty of uh, stuff that they could still do. But to this date, as we speak on December 29th, there has not even been the hint of that new direction, of that, of that renewed aggressiveness. And it's unfairly uh, 
you know, putting Breslow in the corner already. We, you and I see it on social media. Oh, this is Heimbloom 2.0. Nothing has changed. Uh, we're still looking at the margins. We're still adding to the end of the 40-man roster. Where's the dramatic upgrade we were promised? And Breslow is the guy calling the shots from a baseball standpoint, but not necessarily from a financial commitment standpoint. And yet he's the guy that takes the the, the slings and arrows. I mean, to me, retroactively, this is helping how people look at Heimblum's tenure and look at the way that he operated. And maybe it wasn't this guy from Tampa who was afraid to spend money. Maybe the money wasn't always there to spend. And maybe the handcuffs from above were real. So that's where the Red Sox are. It's not a pleasant spot. Uh, the goal on this show is never to go talk radio and just rip them undeservedly. Uh, but I think we're at a point now where, you know, the, the goalposts have changed a little bit and they've moved. And I do think if this is the team or it's a similar team that reports to Fort Myers in a few weeks and they're projected to be fifth, there are real conversations to be had about the commitment of ownership, what the budget actually is, should they sell the team. Um, and at that point, it's hard to imagine considering, and Sean, you covered this and I lived through it as a kid mostly, you know, an ownership that got four World Series championships for these fans being completely turned against and, you know, deserving it. There were only five years removed from a, a World Series title where they had the best year in franchise history. Fans have a short memory when it comes to John Henry, Tom Warner, and Sam Kennedy with that. And I think that ownership, if they do do this, and if they really don't go full throttle, if they go quarter throttle, like it seems they might, they just are going to keep relying on, we're going to roll out the balls. It's Fenway Park. It's the summertime. The fans are going to come because it's Fenway Park in the summertime, and they're always going to come, and we don't need good players, and we've given them four World Series championships. I think those days are over. People are pissed, and they have to you know, pull their head out of the sand because I can't say any more on a podcast setting and figure it out. Yeah, I'm interested to see how this manifests itself once once the season gets underway. I think we know that there is going to be, barring something dramatic here in the next three or four weeks, uh, we know that there is going to be scant interest in the team in spring training. There's going to be a lot of, you know, oh, great, another fifth-place finish on the horizon, another last-place team, another uh, instance of ownership not willing to spend – you're going to have a lot of that talk and a lot of deaf ears when it comes to whatever we report from spring training. Uh, but I'm interested to see how it manifests itself once the season starts. Now, you're going to hear a lot of, you know, yeah, Fenway's going to have 11,000 people in April. No, that's not going to happen. But I think you may see a lot of games, particularly early in the season when school is still in session, the weather is cooler. Uh I think you could see some some uh, nights and days where there are 20,000 seats and it's, you know, or 22,000 seats and it's two thirds full, not half empty, not, you know, not 14,000 people on a given night. That's it's never going to bottom out to that level. But what is it going to look like when the season starts and if they get off to a bad start or they struggle uh, you know, what are the TV ratings going to be like? What are, are people going to be so angry with the direction or lack of direction on the team that it's nonstop, uh, you know, vitriol directed at the franchise and ownership or worse, I think, 
Is it going to be total apathy where we know you just mentioned talk radio, Chris, we know that the Red Sox are not a big topic for the most part, unless they do something dramatic or fail to do something dramatic. And then they're in the crosshairs. Um, but are, are they going to become complete, uh, completely irrelevant on the Boston sports media scene? We're going to be in a spring where there could well be, for the first time in two decades, a new coach and general manager of the Patriots. We're going to be in a spring where uh, the Patriots could be in position to draft a franchise quarterback or at least a top five player in the draft. That's going to get a lot of attention. Greg Mack. The Celtics are, uh, you know, at this point, the favorites to go to the NBA Finals from the East. They have yet to lose at home as we record this. They have the best record in the NBA the Bruins are not as dominant as they were a season ago, but they still are in first place and will definitely be a playoff team. Is all of that going to completely uh, make the Red Sox irrelevant in April and May as the season gets underway? Um, and as I said, it's not just the anger and the discontent and the vitriol on the part of the fan base. It's the lack of interest and the fact that people aren't even invested enough to be pissed off. They're just going to tune out and walk away. I've noticed, and we'll cut to a couple of you know names and free agent targets in a minute. Um, but even when you write, you know who they're in on, people come at us. There's a lot of shooting the messenger of, you know, we don't want to hear this anymore. We don't want to hear they're interested in report of signing. Which my go-to is. I'm not going to make one up for you. So this is the best we have. This is what they're doing. Uh, and this is what, you know, is actually going on behind the scenes. And, you know, my New Year's resolutions to not get into it with the trolls and imbecile, imbeciles anymore. But, you know. It, you're failing so far. I know, I know. I know we're not at the New Year yet, but your restraint has not been great. Not that I question it. Right. But I, I do wonder about your ability to maintain that uh, New Year's resolution. Well, they're so annoying. Anyway, the names that I wrote about and that we've been talking about behind the scenes, or the Red Sox have been talking about behind the scenes that uh, caused some of that uh, banter, let's say, on Twitter. You mentioned Lucas Giolito. He's a guy that John Heyman wrote yesterday they have big interest in. That's true. I think they're one of the, the teams that are you know most involved there. I think that because, as I wrote, Scott Boris now controls the starting pitching market with Montgomery and Snell, this could drag on a little bit. Um, I think a lot of people, myself included, expected Yamamoto uh, and that move to open the floodgates. And this week we've seen one contract over $10 million, Kevin Kiermeyer's deal. That's been it. No trades. Just very, very quiet week, as it usually is between Christmas and New Year's. But yeah, the floodgates could open that, next week. I, I think your theory is, you know, was and remains correct about Yamamoto being off the market and uh, and now things are going to pick up. But it also coincided with the weekend between right. Christmas and New Year's when typically baseball ops departments are closed. That doesn't mean that GMs or head of baseball ops departments aren't working and working the phones and staying in contact. But it's naturally a week in which activity takes a bit of a dip and we've seen that excuse me already so far yep uh but lucas giolito is a guy who i think the market is starting to pick up for another show to imanaga 
He's going to travel to the U.S. after the new year, potentially for meetings with teams. Unclear if he's coming to Boston, but he's a guy that they're in on. We'll add one more pitcher to the mix, James Paxton. They have talked to him throughout the winter. Nothing was imminent as of earlier this week, but a guy they obviously know well. And a guy that, look, I know it's not the sexiest name. I know it's more of the same, but people forget. Had a really, really good 10-start stretch to start the year. Was the American League Pitcher of the Year in June. Um, you know, And if he's healthy, you know there is some upside there, even at 35. We You've got to... James Paxton as a contender for a fourth or fifth spot in your rotation. That's fine. But I think the natural response to a move like that is, okay, but who's our new number one or number two? And as we know, that has not been addressed. If If this were a finishing touch to a rotation, they had signed, uh, you know, somebody to occupy the top half of that rotation and sort of lift all boats, make the rotation better, deeper with the ability to provide innings. And you tack on James Paxton as a guy that can compete toward the back end and then maybe even get somebody else, whether it's Giolito or Imanaga or a lesser free agent, then people can say, all right, they, they've, they've, they've moved this forward, but just going out and, uh, you know, I, I hate to get back to the cliche. What's the definition of insanity? Trying the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. If you're bringing back somebody that was part of a pitching staff and a rotation that was 24th in big league in the big leagues last year, then how much better are you if at all? And the answer is not, not at all. Yep. And we touched on Giolito. There's a lot that was going on with him last year, including a tough divorce, which we've talked about before on the show. And those around him think that really had an impact. The innings are there. The strikeouts are there. Uh, I think he's a guy that intrigues a lot of teams, the Red Sox and the Mets included. I think they're going to be right in the mix there. And it'll be interesting to see what type of deal he gets. Let's touch on the position player that they're reported to be in on. Teoscar Hernandez has really killed it at Fenway over his career. 950 OPS, I think, in 45 games. They are really involved there. Can confirm them and the Angels have been the two teams that are most uh, involved and most aggressive on Teoscar. To me, and I find this to be a strange kind of pursuit, he does make your lineup better. He does make your team better. But he's adding to a place in the outfield where you're already uh, kind of set. Um, and to me, that would just mean that one of the young outfielders has to get traded, whether it be William Abreu or Sedan Rafaela, Jaron Duran, as we've talked about on the show before. I don't think it makes a ton of sense for them to go out and get an outfielder on a long-term deal. Teoscar Hernandez, from what I've heard, is seeking four years. Even that, three and an option, I find it like just add a starter. It's not that hard. You don't, you kind of are okay in the outfield. You know, you have a lot of controllable good pieces. You have more balance now with O'Neill than Verdugo. Like, to me, you're set there. Um, this seems to be kind of maybe a chestnut checkers thing where the moves down the line are not there yet. But, uh, you know, to see them aggressive after a position player at this point, not exactly what I would have predicted, but it is the case. Yeah, and I, I think what it suggests is that they are more concerned with getting a righty power bat to hit in between Devers and Casas in the lineup than they've previously publicly acknowledged. Uh, you know, Breslow at the winter meetings was kind of like, yeah, it'd be nice to have somebody to offer a little balance there and have a right-handed stick between those two, but we've got a pretty good lineup. And, you know, I, I, I think that that sentiment was actually closer to the truth than 
overspending for four years for Teoscar Hernandez. And granted, they haven't done that yet. But the fact that they know the parameters, they know the expectations, and they're still involved suggests that they're willing to do something pretty similar to that. Maybe it's only three in an option. Maybe there's an opt-out after two or whatever. But I, too, have a hard time understanding the logic behind that. Yes, he'll make them better in 24, probably in 25, but he's also going to block some people. Uh, and even if you're, uh, you know, plan B as part of this attached to a signing of Hernandez is to sign is to trade Duran for pitching, then you still have a lot of young outfielders. You still have Rafaela. You you still have Abreu. And for 25, you're going to have Roman Anthony. Uh, so where does her and, and, and Yoshida, who remains under contact contract rather for four more years after this one, it just seems to be uh, you're trying to fit a, a square peg into a round hole here. Yes, they need offense. Yes, they could use a righty bat to provide some balance and add some muscle, but the 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 parameters attached really get into some blockage in the future and i'm not sure make the most sense yeah that's where i'm at and i mean just how about you take that money and sign jordan montgomery i don't know is that a crazy idea to fit the uh well i think jordan montgomery is going to be significantly more expensive. i know but okay let's say it's twice as much that's you know there's your 80 80 the 160 million tour whatever it is like just to me, you're looking to fill a hole that, that's not really there. Last thing I'll touch on, there has been some reporting this week out there. And some that makes a lot of sense that the Red Sox could move a back-end reliever. Heard yesterday they were in on Robert Stevenson, who is uh, a big-name free agency that no one's ever heard of. A big-name free agent that no one's ever heard of. Pitched for the Rays last year and was pretty good. Um, trading Kenley Jansen, trading Chris Martin, trading John Schreiber – some of these guys, uh, you know, for a package of minor leaguers, I think that obviously indicates a sell move. To me, though, that's one of those areas of the roster that's really, really strong. Uh, if they do add starters, you can see Tanner Houck and Garrett Whitlock, who is the subject of the MLB Notebook today, by the way, uh, moving and being back in the bullpen and, and full-time roles. And you have, as we've talked about many times, you know, right now, Jansen, Martin, Schreiber, Winkowski, Houck, Whitlock, Yovera, Kelly, Campbell, Weissert, all these guys mixing in. A lot of righties, not a lot of lefties. Bernardino's there. I think moving somebody like Jansen or Martin, selling high on these guys who are pretty old, does make some sense. Um, but I, they need to target, you know, maybe starter upside in that package. True. And I also, um, you know, while Stevenson might be a good value signing, and somebody that you get for a reasonable amount, if you trade Jansen, and I understand the thinking that, you know, he's in his mid-30s, he's had a succession of injuries in past years, uh, you wonder about him breaking down. Um, but as you noted, the combination of Martin and Jansen last year really, I mean, ultimately it ended in 78 wins, but there was some stability at the back end of that bullpen for the first time in a couple of years because you had guys who had served and excelled in their roles. Martin in the eighth inning, Jansen in the ninth. If you trade Kenley Jansen because he's got $16 million coming and you figure, well, you know, we're selling high here. Stevenson hasn't closed out games to any great degree. 
even Martin, who has been an excellent setup reliever in his 30s, kind of a you know a good second half of his career and was as dominant as anybody in that role in the game last year, we know that there is a, there is a something that comes with being the guy in the ninth inning. To ask Chris Martin all of a sudden to close out games when I think he has like 10 career saves uh, is a big step. And to do it of somebody like Stevenson, who's younger and doesn't have that experience, is another big step. Now, maybe you're looking at this like, look, there are bigger problems than nailing down the ninth inning here for a team that doesn't begin to have a representative starting rotation and has a hole at second base and some other things. It just seems like they're messing with the one thing that they can count on and adding one more bit of uncertainty to the roster. Tanner Houck, to me, is a guy who showed a couple years ago that he could do it. I don't think he'd be ruled out at all. But, again, we're uh, projecting and talking about moves they haven't made yet. And, again, that's the story of the offseason. Moves that have not been made. For the latest and all the Red Sox are doing or not doing, Sean, tell the fine folks about our Red Sox Insider Text program. Yes, indeed, Chris. All you have to do to keep up on everything that's going on this offseason, into spring training, into all of next year, is be a part of our Red Sox Insider text program. To do that, just text the word JOIN to 617-751-6257. Then click the link and subscribe today. You get a free 14-day trial period to text us, to have your questions answered uh, directly by one of the three of us, myself, Chris Cotillo, and Chris Smith. You can submit questions that are going to be read on this podcast and you can feel like you're getting the latest Red Sox information all the time. So join us in the Red Sox Insider Text. That will do the Fenway Rundown for this week. And barring a massive surprise and an emergency pod for the year, we want to thank everybody for listening. Wish them a happy new year. Exciting uh, trio of episodes coming up next week. We're not sure exactly in what order they'll be. One of them will be a Hall of Fame panel discussion. Sean McAdam and Chris Smith. Both have Hall of Fame votes that are due in the coming days. We will discuss that. We will keep discussing the Red Sox and talking about the same in action over and over and over. But we appreciate you listening as always. This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.